Welcome to a post-NFL draft edition of the Dave Pash Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Pash, ESPN and Arizona Cardinals announcer. Our guest this week is Vice President Player Personnel for the Arizona Cardinals, Quinton Harris, to talk, obviously, about the NFL draft and the acquisition of Hollywood Brown. And we're going to get there, but we're going to start with talking about Quinton's background. He's a former player, played at Syracuse. I actually did his games at Syracuse and then did his games when he was a member of the Arizona Cardinals. We'll talk about how he got into this business when he started thinking about getting into being a personnel guy. We'll also discuss his interview with the New York Giants. He was one of the candidates for their general manager position. And then obviously we're going to get into how the trade went down to bring in Hollywood, what he'll bring to the offense in 2022. At that point in the draft, is Hollywood Brown going to have more of an impact than anyone that we are going to draft right now? And the answer was yes. So at that point, it was an easy call for us. Also, Q's thoughts on Trey McBride, the Cardinals' second-round selection, the two pass rushers they selected in the third round, some of the late-round picks, and then also what Quentin thinks about Kyler Murray, his growth, and the potential for the Arizona Cardinals in 2022. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals and Gila River Hotels and Casinos. Sign up for BetMGM today using code CARDS1000 and get your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. New customer offer, paid and free bets. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. 21 and over, Arizona only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP. And here he is, Cardinals Vice President, Player Personnel, Quentin Harris. So, Q, I was mentioning in the open that I've known you half my life. I'm going to be 50 this year, and I've known you 25 years. I was calling Syracuse games when you were playing there, and I remember my first year here in 2002 was your first year, and I remember seeing you – getting onto the plane or I was onto the bus to go to the plane for the first preseason road game and you were dressed like in a three-piece suit because <laughs> Paul Pascalone, the head coach, always yes. made the players dress in suits. Yes. What do you recall from your first training camp, your first preseason, your first season? Because I don't think people remember you played – well, you played four years here, then you spent a year with Denver. Yes, yes. And you started some games. You played 16 games, I think, three different years. Uh-huh. So you had a longer career than most in the NFL as a player and then obviously yes. got into personnel. What do you recall from your first camp, your first NFL experience? Well, the first NFL experience I could say is when I stepped into the building. And again, playing in the Big East, uh, we saw the fast guys. We saw th- that type of ability. But when I walked in, my eyes popped out of my head when I saw David Boston. I've never <laughs> – seen a physical specimen at the receiver spot outside linebacker defensive end you see guys like that but a guy built like that at the receiver spot um there was a gulp that went down my throat um that 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 was the biggest thing that stuck to me initially of wow this guy has traps on top of traps are all the receivers like this so um for me that that was eye-opening but once I got settled in because again I came in with a, a huge chip on my shoulder being undrafted so once that part of wow these guys are big they're fast but guess what so am I so once that part settled in I remember thinking you know I belong here and I'm going to be here so that's the thing 
when I initially got here that 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 I could take from uh, my initial uh, experience. When did you start thinking about personnel? Was that something that was always of interest to you, or did it happen after you were done playing, or was it during your career? Uh, a little of both. So let me take you back. Um, in high school, I was one of those guys that would buy the the Lindy's, the Street and Smith, the Athlon, all those uh, football magazines, the preseason. I would read them, go through them. So I was always intrigued with the personnel aspect of it. But um, really it started when Steve mentioned to – again, let me rewind a little bit. Steve yeah. was an area scout in Syracuse uh, when I was there. So I met Steve a few times because we had a mutual acquaintance, my strength and conditioning coach, William Hicks, was right. Steve. So That's right. I met Steve a few times when he was on his visit. So fast forward, Steve and I had a great relationship. Um, so he, the college scouts would come out during training camp, and uh, we would talk a little bit. And he was like, hey, when you're done, you might want to think about personnel. So at that time, I wasn't thinking about it until he mentioned it. And I was like, hmm. You know, I can stay in the football world. I love this is what I do. This is all I ever wanted to do. So I would say uh, it started maybe my second year in the NFL thinking about it. And then obviously when I was done, it was an easy transition. I uh, went from a locker to an office. You're a vice president now. You interviewed with the Giants for mm-hmm. their general manager position. Yes. You're going to be a GM at some point. I'm yes. assuming that's a goal for you. Yes. What was the interview process like and the experience like what were your takeaways from it and did it help you going through this process with the Giants yeah um first of all it was uh I'm very thankful uh for Mr. Mayor Mr. Tish uh for interviewing me but it initially you know you know it's coming at some point but when you get the call like hey we're going to interview you uh your mind starts starts rolling and for me, I really just had to step back because when you when you get that call, you start to think about every scenario, uh, every section of the building that you're going to have to know and understand. So I really had to just step back and say, you know what, 70% of this stuff I've been doing since uh, I got here in 2008. Mm-hmm. So I removed that part of the equation in terms of building the draft board, free agency, all those things. That ca- all those things I didn't focus on as much because I was I'm fluent in. So I really just focused on uh, the logistics side of things, you know, things that Matty Carciola does, on, and getting a better feel for that. So uh, I was super prepared, I can tell you that much. And it was one of those things where there was no question that stumped me. You know, I had answers for everything. I had a detailed plan for everything uh, they asked about. And I really walked out that interview um, not with I don't want to say zero regrets because I'm sure there's some small things, but I left that, that that interview feeling like I would change very little. And even when I got the call, you know, from Mr. Mara saying they're going in another direction, I still felt really good about the interview process. And for me, it kind of lifts that veil up of what's behind the curtain because you just, you just don't know until you experience. You can ask people and talk to people, but you don't know. So for me, it was going through that process the first time and really understanding and being being comfortable uh, once once I got in the seat because obviously I was a little nervous. It's a you know uh, a big job that I wanted I really wanted so I was nervous. But uh, once I went through the process and stepped away, I'm like okay, you know I'm, I'm ready for the next one. You know it's just a little sure. more confidence. I'm ready for the next one because again you go in so blind because you just don't know what kind of questions you're going to get. So you try to prepare for everything. Sure. And that's why that 70% of the football stuff. I kind of just put on the back burner because if I can't talk about that, I don't need to be sitting here 
uh, interviewing for this position. Sure. So that was my approach, but um, it was an amazing experience. I'm looking forward to the the next next one that comes up. But um, my my biggest takeaway that it's uh, it, it ended up being more of a conversation because mm-hmm. you think you're going to come in and it's going to be all formal. You're going to sure. be tight. It was it was a it was a nice conversation. How much do you think? And we'll get into because I'm sure people listening want to hear about the trade for Hollywood Mm -hmm. and the draft Mm -hmm. and your thoughts on the 2022 team. But how much do you think, and maybe you can tell from being around Steve, obviously the job is, as you said, 70% of it is talent evaluation, Mm -hmm. putting together a team, but Mm -hmm. there is the PR aspect, right? Yes. You're a great dude. You're a good person. You're very charismatic. Do you feel like you need to do more interviews more things like this to put yourself out there so that people see who Quentin Harris is because that is such a big part of the job the public perception yes I I think so and and for me that's a a battle um that I fight regularly with myself uh because I'm I'll take you back I'm from Wilkes-Barre Pennsylvania northeastern Pennsylvania coal mining region everybody puts their head down and they work and you wait for good things to happen sure so I think um I, I do agree. Uh, I probably need to do a little more and put myself out there, but I've never really been like the self-promoting type, even though it may not be self-promoting. You know, I just got to get over that hurdle of uh, just coming into work and grinding. Um, it is important because um, people see it. Owners are watching television. Owners are, you know, online reading. So I think it's important. Um, and I got to understand that, you know, that's another area that, despite how well I do in terms of my job, there's also, you have to have the presence. You have to be out there. You have to have, you know, be recognizable. So I think that's something that uh, I've been working on. And I know, I know Tim and all the guys, they're like, Hey Q, why don't you do this? I'm like, ah, okay, I'll do it. Yeah. And again, I, I enjoy it, but it's, you know, it's part of me. It's like the, sure. um, a little humility aspect of it that I, I understand. Kind of, kind of get over, but you know that's how I was raised. So sure. it's definitely something I'm working on. And it's not that I don't enjoy it. It's just you know we're always taught don't read your press clippings. Right. Just go to work on to the next thing. It's tough because you have a job to do here, mm-hmm. and you respect Steve Kime, who's the GM, and you want to do your job here. But obviously, you have other goals yes and I'm around either assistant coaches or people in personnel departments whether it's the NFL or NBA or even in you know college sports and it's 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 that tightrope because your personality is similar to mine just put your head down and work Mm -hmm. and if you work hard hopefully good things will happen Mm -hmm. you don't need to be the person that's you know, I'm not a first. I'm not going to be on first take. You know, I'm not going to be going back back and forth with Stephen A. It's just not my mm-hmm. personality. I'm going to go mm-hmm. do a game, and I'm going to. It's going to be about the game. It's not going to be about me. And I know that yes. you're that you're the same way. Yes. All right. So let's let's talk about what happened last week mm-hmm. and when the news came down about the acquisition of Hollywood Brown. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Cardinal fans everywhere. I know there were some people that said, "Well, look what you're giving up," but. I mean, you guys were a playoff team last year. Yes. You're enhancing your roster by adding him. Can you take us through, and I'm sure there's some things you can't say, but right. the the timeline of kind of how this went down. So th- the talks were, they were light um, previously, um, you know, a few days previously, light talks, and it kind of heated up. And as, uh, you know, we did an outstanding job of setting our draft board, unfortunately, uh, those players that, we really coveted started going and knowing 
you know, when when Hop got hurt, knowing that, you know, we're going to need some depth and need a playmaker. But how do you do that when financially, you know, these receivers are getting paid? So when we got to uh, close to our pick and we finalized everything, it was a situation that was like, look, we're getting an outstanding player. Obviously, he played with Kyler, uh, gives us some juice in the vertical passing game. But the biggest thing is when you're talking about paying, I believe, $15 million total between the two years, the $2 million this year and the picking up the option in $13 million. When you're looking at other guys because people are like, well, why didn't you target this guy or that guy? Those guys are getting paid. And right now we weren't in position to really, you know, take on those types of contracts. So um, at that point in the draft, is Hollywood Brown going to have more of an impact than anyone that we are going to draft right now? And the answer was yes. So at that point, it was an easy call for us. Uh, super excited. You know, I know Kyler was like, I didn't even know about it, you know, but it was one of those things that uh, wanted to keep quiet. And, and it happened rapidly as we got closer. I know it's hard probably for you to speak to this because you, you weren't in Baltimore, but I was surprised that they made the move given that they need weapons for Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson mm -hmm. clearly was surprised based yes. on his tweet. And, you know, Hollywood's numbers have been pretty good. As you look at their system and then maybe the Cardinals system, how do you think he fits better here? Well, obviously they're a run-first team. Um, they like to play action pass, uh, you know, deep overs. So Hollywood's opportunity, he's going to have more opportunity here than he did in Baltimore. So I think that's the biggest thing because, you know, even though we do uh, have a solid run game, we're going to throw the ball around. We're going to use four wide, five wide at times. So uh, for him to fit in and, you know, be excited about the opportunity, because I think that was part of it too, you know, the opportunity. Sure. If you're a receiver, you want the ball. Um, so I think it was, it, it. you know, the difference in offenses for Hollywood is, is going to be uh, very good for him. So when you told Kyler – what was his – See, that I, – I, I don't know the conversation with okay. Kyler. I wasn't uh, in on that part of it. But I do know, um, you know, the conversation that I heard that he's super excited because, again, you're getting a teammate. Right. Um, and they had big numbers out in OU. I remember doing one of their games at Iowa State when they were both there. And he threw like a 75-yard pass. He, you know, Hollywood got behind the defense. And that's – I started thinking about that play like, we, you know, we, we've had guys that can do that, but he's a threat yes. every play where you're taking the top off the defense. I mean, you got to worry about him deep every single play. Yep. Kyler's not afraid to throw it deep. Yep. And now you got everything else opening up underneath. And you got to remember, too, uh, one thing, and I think Rondell did a nice job, but one thing we've been lacking over the years is that run after catch guy. Now we have two of them because after the catch, Hollywood can catch a, a bubble screen take it to the house. Rondell can do the same thing, and that's something that we definitely wanted to improve. Now we have two guys that can do it. We have two guys that can make mismatches in space. So you mentioned that most of the guys w that you were thinking about taking were gone. Is there a player that you looked at, you know, now that the trade is over with, you look back and see, okay, like when Tyler Linderbaum, mm -hmm. I mean, he was a player that I know the Cardinals liked. A yep. lot of teams liked him. Mm -hmm. uh, was there – Anybody else that you were like, you know, had we not made that move, we might have taken this player? Um, at that point, I think uh, we did like Linderbaum, um, but I think at that point we wanted an immediate impact player, and that's why uh, Hollywood ended up being that guy because we did like Linderbaum. He's, right. I mean, he's he, for in my opinion, he was a he's a can't miss center. Um, you know, when it comes to a guy that's going to have a successful career, but uh, we wanted someone who's going to impact the game immediately. So 
do, do you feel like in all your years here that this year compared to others was more about enhancement rather than building through the draft? I mean, you're always looking at the future, but uh, just looking also what you guys have done in free agency, mm-hmm. it's not like you guys are going out and trying to make over a team. Yeah, no, it was definitely I, – I would say this – our draft, the way it ended up shaking out, it ended up really being uh, more along the lines of best player available. Um, I think we really, because there was guys that kind of stuck out that, you know, oh, why'd you guys take Trey McBride? We loved him, and he was a, uh, we had a high grade on him, and that's why we took him. So I think this is more of a, not necessarily was a need-based draft, but uh, best player available that ended up being, that ended up filling needs for us. So I think it was uh, obviously you want to enhance it, but I, it wasn't a, a, a rebuild. Um, it was just really the best player available. Trey McBride, you mentioned. Mm-hmm. What do you see his role being in this offense? Is he more similar to Zach Ertz or to Max Williams? He's more similar to Max Williams, a little younger, a little more athletic. Um, again, in this day and age, it's very difficult to get a tight end who can catch the ball and be a receiver as well as run block. That's why we love Trey so much because he's a guy that can line in line um, and knock people off the ball, or he can flex out and be matched up versus a safety and you feel good. So that was uh, uh, one thing we were very excited about with Trey. All right, your your two pass rushers you took in the third round, Mm -hmm. Cam Thomas, MyJ Sanders. Uh, Tell me, I saw MyJ this year had Cincinnati early in the season. Obviously, they had an incredible year, and they had a really good defense. He was a player that stood out, mm-hmm. I remember, in the game. And maybe his measurables weren't first round, but the guy was making plays. So I'm curious, him and then a player that I really don't know much about, Cam, Cam Thomas. Cam. Tell me about both those guys. Yeah, so um, I'll start with Cam uh, since we took him first. But Cam is a from a, a San Diego State. He's super athletic. And what you loved about Cam is you loved his interview, you loved the intensity, but and you loved the way he played the game. And also with Cam is – he showed some ability to put his hand in the ground and play some of the five, play some of the outside backer stuff due to his athleticism. So uh, we really loved his motor, his temperament. And, again, it started more so last year. We wanted to bring in guys who have that leadership ability. And Cam was one of those guys, even though he was a younger guy, he showed the leadership ability, and we love that. Uh, now, Maje, you look at his numbers, you're like, hmm, they're kind of ho-hum. But if you really study the tape and you really study how disruptive this guy is, um, and again, to your point, didn't have uh, elite measurables. And I think there's a little uh, misinformation out there because he weighed 228, but he did get sick, lost some weight. He plays at 240. Okay. Yeah, he's a, he's a 240, 247 type of guy. And last time we spoke, he was 242. So he ended up getting sick, losing some weight. He gained the weight back, but uh, with Maja, you're getting a guy that uh, is a tempo setter, um, plays with his hair on fire, uh, tons of upside. Now he's going to have to work on finishing rushes because uh, he missed about seven sacks just because he's, you know, he he plays with that tempo and that effort. So there's little details that all these guys need to work on, but specifically Maja is just going to have to just to slow down a little bit, and that's always good when you can tell a guy just to slow down just a little bit as opposed to prodding him and getting them going. So sure. um, we're, we're super excited about both those guys, both disruptive players. Um, the other guy is, a, is a, almost a J.J. Watt clone in his mind. He loves J.J., has the number, has the sleeve, <laughs> speaking of Cam Thomas. So uh, we're, we're super excited about these guys. There's always at least one guy drafted 
rounds four through seven that it ends up being a perennial pro bowler. And there's usually multiple. So there was a player that was drafted on Saturday, history says, Mm -hmm. that's going to be a perennial pro bowl player. If that player is somebody that you picked, and obviously I'm sure you think that one of the guys you picked or multiple has a chance, is there anybody of those guys that were picked late that you're really excited about, you really think has a chance? Yeah, um, I really like uh, Lasita Smith, um, our guard we took out of Virginia Tech. Uh, This guy is athletic. Uh, he's an excellent puller. He's tough. He's physical. And a lot of times, you know, you watch NFL linemen and you're like, eh, he's tough. He's strong, but he's slow-footed. This guy is everything. Um, so we, he was a steal, in my opinion, for us. He's one guy that once he gets his opportunity, it's it's going to be tough to remove him from the seat. And I think, you know, his temperament. And, again, when we talk about bringing these A and B football characters guys in, he's one of those guys. As you look at the acquisitions overall from the offseason, there's a player that I brought up several times in conversations that I've had publicly when people ask me about the team and what the team's doing. And a lot of people say, well, the Cardinals need to draft a corner in the first round. I said, you know, there's a player that the Cardinals got who was with the Vikings who was a first-round pick two years ago mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. Jeff Gladney. Now, I know mm-hmm. there were some off-the-field issues, which – I believe have been yes. taken care of, yeah. and you guys They've, did your homework on Jeff yes. Gladney. Yeah, um, off-field issues have been cleaned up, and again, uh, if you remember back, he's a guy that we loved in the draft as well. Obviously, couldn't get him, and we feel like again that's another steal because you're getting a young first round. We had a first round grade on him. We're getting a young player um, in our building, and again, the depth wise was a concern last year, so I think we addressed that. Uh, with adding him, but he's a guy, he's a press corner guy, and you know VJ likes to play man defense, but also this guy is smart when he when we ask him to get in the, when we're going to ask him to get in the zones, uh, he shows the aptitude for that, and again, he's another guy that's going to come in, uh, bring his lunch pail and go to work. All right, last thing on the moves that were made in the offseason, and we can fast forward a little bit to what we think about the fall. Mm-hmm. Clearly, one of the initiatives was, hey, let's keep our core. Mm-hmm. Zach Ertz, James Conner, and Colt McCoy were obviously priorities for you guys. Mm -hmm. Colt, how he played when Kyler was hurt, but also how Kyler looks up to him and the relationship that's there and Ertz being as productive as he was. And James Conner, I don't know if anybody could have foreseen what Conner did last year. Mm -hmm. Maybe you guys did. If you did, you guys are geniuses because the guy was one of the best players in football last year. Yeah. Can he do it again? Yes, and and this is why it's his skill set and, more importantly, how Cliff uses him. Because people just thought, you know, James is this, you know, tough running downhill player when, in fact, you can move him out to the slot. Guess what he's going to do? He's going to create a mismatch versus the linebacker, and I think that went under the radar. Uh, But at the same time, I don't think that a, uh, a team is going to be able to prepare for all our weapons. So I do believe he's going to have the same success in what he brought to the table. And, you know, he was actually – he was one of our higher-rated um, running backs in that free agency draft two years ago – our free agency uh, period two yeah. years ago. So he um, – he, I believe he's going to be able to replicate it. Part of it, his skill set, but the other part, Cliff is a magician when it comes to moving guys around, creating uh, matchups. So, no, he's, he, we're excited um, what he's going to do. Obviously, we're having this conversation in early May. The, you're, the, the team is going to change between now and week one. Yes. There's going to be moves that you guys are uh, – the way you guys have done things over the years, you're never done, which I love. Yes. I love the fact that you guys are always searching. And I assume part of your role is you've got to know 
everybody on every team because if there is a veteran mm-hmm. or someone that's cut in camp or before camp, you've got to, first of all, know their skill set but know the money and mm-hmm. then have that conversation with Steve, right? Is that a big part of your that, role? That's a huge part, and, and really it, it started already um, in terms of when we talk about building our ready list. So all those free agents that are still on the street, uh, we have all those guys on a ready list ranked and ready to go. So those are the free agents. Now you touched on guys that are currently on rosters. Uh, One thing we always do every year is each player on the active roster is going to get a report put in on them. So we're going to have an up-to-date, accurate grade. So when a guy, um, a team calls and wants to trade a guy or a player gets cut, we have an active grade as an alert. So once a guy, if a guy has a starting uh, level grade and he's cut, that alerts everyone. All right, let's take a look. Let's dig a little deeper. So we're we're always prepared. Everybody has a report. We know who's out there. Now the money thing, that's you know that'll fall in Matt Harris's hand um, for the most part because we'll bring guys and he'll say, hey, this guy may not fit under the cap or sure. whatever the case is. But uh, we're super prepared in terms of our ready list. Uh, Adrian, Glenn Fox, those guys who kind of head the uh, pro department, Andrew Kaskin, all those guys do a phenomenal job of being on top of it. And it's funny because it's, uh, it's one of those thankless jobs because you spend hours of watching tape, making sure these guys, first of all, fit what we do, and then second of all, how do we stack them? How do we rank these guys? And, you know, we've done a phenomenal job um, in the last few years. So as we fast forward to 2022 without knowing exactly what the roster is going to look like because obviously things are going to happen between now and then, what do you think, based on how the season ended, what do you think is the biggest concern for you and the thing you're most excited about? I think the – and I think this – all uh, the other 31 teams would probably say the same thing, is staying healthy. Um, that's the biggest concern is staying healthy – um, because, you know, one guy can, can derail a season. I do think that um, if you really look at it, we need to to understand that we're going to be hunted when we're winning. And I think we're gaining that mindset of understanding we're going to get every team's A game. So I think for me, seeing the guys that we're bringing in and just the mental standpoint of understanding what we're going to get and being able to weather the storm week in and week out. So that's something that we're going to have to work on. I think we are. Uh, but the, the biggest thing I'm excited about is uh, the defense. I'm excited about the pieces we add, uh, the pressure we can generate, the tools from Isaiah to Zavin to how we use Buddha, how we use JT. We have a ton of talent, Zach, JJ, all those guys up front. So I'm, I'm excited about the defense and what they're going to do. I'm curious about Zavin because obviously towards the end of the year, he wasn't playing, and sometimes when he was playing, he was in a different role mm-hmm. than many saw him. Mm-hmm. What do you think is, is in, in the process of him becoming – a more viable option for you guys. What, what do you think that's going to take? I just think reps, okay. um, just continuing to get better, to continue to see things. And again, as you know, once the season gets going, um, it things fly by. And I think for Zavin, um, the opportunity wasn't there, whether it was based on who we were going to, who we're matched up against. Um, so I think just him getting more reps, uh, just becoming more comfortable, that's going to really uh, set him apart. You played with Donovan McNabb for four years, right? It's Syracuse uh, zero four three. Okay, three years. I know Kyler's different than Donovan, obviously, mm-hmm. but I mean there are some similarities because they both are 
pretty good athletes. Yes. And can throw it deep down the field. Yes. Uh, is, is there something about maybe Donovan and the way he played and his moxie mm-hmm. and leadership skills that you're seeing from Kyler? Yeah, so, first of all, when you watch Don actually play, there's a calm about him. He never really f- looks uh, pressured or razzled. And Kyler has that same demeanor in terms of, you know, good play, bad play. He kind of has the same face. You know, he's like, is he happy or is he mad or is he – but it's all – whether he's throwing a touchdown or, or an interception, it's always the same face. And Don was like that mm-hmm. in terms of the, the calm demeanor he has. Um, but in terms of the leadership component of it, uh, they're different. Don was like the jokester. You know, he wanted to have a good time. Kyler's business. <laughs> like he, Kyler gets on the field. We're going. We're going to work. Yeah. You know, we we have an objective to win this game, and that's what that's that's how we're going to work. So that was that's kind of the difference where Kyler is is really not that Don wasn't locked in because yeah, he was, sure. but the how they handled themselves on the field. I think that would be the the difference in the two. Last question on Kyler. And I've talked to Cliff and Steve about this, and they've talked about this on, on, on this podcast, and Adrian as well, and, and Michael Bidwill as well, that you're seeing growth from Kyler mm-hmm. in terms of how he handles himself with his teammates uh, or handles the, the huddle or the locker room. What's the next step, do you think, for Kyler going into year four, which for this whole organization is a big year because we've seen steps each of the last three years made the playoffs, didn't win, but now mm-hmm. the expectation is not only to make the playoffs but get to the Super Bowl. We, we saw it last year, and I think he needs to take that next step forward of uh, bringing everyone else's game up with him. And that's that's the great ones. The great ones make the guy who's an average player into a good player. And I think that's what we're seeing in Kyler, to see these guys that are good receivers, running backs, offensive line, good players, raise their game up based on how he's playing in his presence. So I think that's the next step for Kyler. All right, back to you. If I'm a Cardinal fan, and because, again, you're all about business and you know, you're know you not the guy that's out there trying to self-promote and say, hey, look at me. So for people that maybe don't know a lot about you, what's something that you would want Cardinal fans to know about yourself? Uh, myself, uh, you're going to get a humble – hardworking person that uh, I am quirky. Um, I have a wide range of interests uh, from telescopes to uh, Lord of the Ring books to uh, music. So I'm, I'm very versed. I can fit in any situation. I can, I can have dinner with anyone and feel comfortable. Um, I'm a guy that I, I fit in everywhere. Tell me about the telescopes. What do you mean telescopes? You have like telescope. multiple telescopes? No, just, just one telescope. Just, um, oh, yeah. What do you Star, Stargazing. Do I, you? Yeah. I got a Celestron 150 a telescope, a GPS on there. I can type in the coordinates. And if I want to see Mars, type in the coordinate, coordinates and it'll automatically do it. Um, I love hiking. I love the outdoors. Um, I'm a bit of a jokester, some may say, <laughs> you know. So uh, I, I just like that I enjoy life. I like to have a good time. Uh, the big thing with me is, and, and everybody will tell me, relationships are important to me in terms of uh, work relationships and camaraderie. Because uh, I believe if you have an awesome work environment, people are going to work harder. They're going to be more productive. So that's kind of the vibe I want to get off, give off. And, you know, that's what we try to build here where – not just one department has this. You want it to permeate through the whole building. Last thing, Q. Who were some of your mentors? Who were either players that you looked up to or coaches or people in personnel that mm-hmm. have helped shape who you are? Ooh, I've had a lot of those. Uh, I'm going to go really – my first, like, true football mentor 
because again in high school you're always the best player so you know you really don't have a mentor but uh coach Pasqualoni when I got to Syracuse and when we stepped in that building the again as a true freshman when we reported it was like the military we had to shave our beards uh we had to be clean cut and then you're like you know why do we have all these rules why this why do, why do I have to wear a suit everywhere why 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 but then you understand he was preparing us to be men so I have a great appreciation for Coach P, and he. I learned so much from him about just the business side because all those lessons we learned at Syracuse, we can apply them to any any walk, any any part of our lives. Uh, I would say Rod Graves has been huge for me. Um, he gave me my first job, really. You know, he uh, he's been a, a, a huge uh, a mentor for me. We still talk to this day. We talked the other day. Uh, Rod has been instrumental in my growth the last few years when we're talking about taking the next step. Um, there, oh, wow, there's so many people. But I would say the, Rod, mm-hmm. uh, Coach P, uh, obviously Jason Light, when I first got here, I was, uh, you know, again, like I said, I came from a locker to an office, and Jason Light and myself, we started at the same time. So I, that, he was the, my first set of eyes. I laid on someone in the personnel side. So a lot of things I do – you know, were based off of how Jason moved and operated. So Jason Light was a, also another one. Don't bring up Jason's name. He he's he's on the bad list right now oh, because uh-oh, uh-oh. he owes me a steak dinner because he texted during a preseason game. He's like, "Hey, if you can somehow I'm watching, if you can somehow get in that Steve Kime and I are are still friends, if you can get that in, I'll buy you a steak dinner." And I look at Wolf. I'm like. What does he think? I'm an amateur? So, of course, like, I tell the producer, hey, come back, show a shot of the bo- Steve, and, and yeah. congratulations to the Buccaneers. Oh, Jason Light, yeah. who used to be with the Cardinals, GM of the Bucks, and he and Steve are still close. So, Jason, like, right away texts, like, darn it. And then uh, he still hasn't he still hasn't paid up. What we always say in personnel when we're, we're going to sign an a undrafted free agent, a guy to a high deal, until it's in writing, <laughs> it doesn't matter. No, I think he'll. I think he'll <laughs> do come it. Through. It's just a matter. I was down there. I did for Westwood one. I did the their game against the Rams where they lost. But he he was a little busy. I didn't, well, I'm didn't I'm gonna bother. I'm gonna text him and shame him. Please do. So I'm I'm, I'm definitely do. gonna do that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna shoot him a text and <laughs> and um, I'll only charge you ten percent for my for my for my. You know, that's fair. Yes, that's fair. That's yes. what that's what a broadcast agent <laughs> charges. Sadly, oh, uh, really is it ten percent? Ah. Okay. Yeah, it's a little different for players, right? Players are what three, four percent usually. Yeah, three, and then you'll have these these agents that'll come and hey, I'll do your deal for one percent. You know those those types of agents that'll yeah. do it for less. Right. So think right now, if you're Troy Aikman's agent who just got a lot of money from ESPN, yes. and you're getting ten percent. Now maybe that at that dollar figure, you're not getting ten percent, but for for guys like me, that's that's maybe so, it's getting less. I don't know. So there's players without agents. For, uh, guys like yourself, it, do you know any uh, colleagues without agents, and how to how does that work? Yeah, there are some. Uh, there are some people that don't have agents. Most of the time, an agent helps negotiate. It's not necessarily about getting you the position. It's more about handling the stuff that you don't want to handle. It's I got you. Okay, you know, doing all the negotiating, and you know, because if I went in there, I would probably just take the first offer. Because broadcasting is. It's, it's a lot different than being a player. Like, I worked with Brian Greasy for a long time, and it took Brian some time to understand, like, wait a second, if I'm the best, I should be doing X game. And I'm like, this is a different business. Mm. The best player doesn't always play. Mm. Things are very subjective. You know, usually the cream rises to the crop. But, I mean, look, there's only one job. There's only one Monday Night Football job. Mm-hmm. There, and, and Brian eventually got to Monday Night Football. But it took – I think it takes former players when they get into this and coaches like – 
a while to understand like there's a little bit more politics and more subjective than just now, I'm not saying there's not politics in football. But yeah, well, the same thing when you're talking about some of these higher-end jobs. Um, sure, I mean, as yep. a GM and coaching. Yep. But yep. in terms of as a player, though, I mean, you made the team as yep. an undrafted player because you were yep. you were good enough to make the team. Yeah, and that's that's one thing. Coaches don't want to get rid of good players, you know. Sure. So when, you know, you always hear this, all oh, the coach, you know, didn't like me, didn't this, didn't that. Did you really do everything you needed to do in the weight room, in the training room? Did you in the meeting room? Did you really do all those things? So some guys get clouded sure. when it comes to that. So I definitely understand. Well, listen, man, you've been great, and you know I'm a big fan, and so I'm a little biased, but I you do such a great job for the team, and I know Thank that you. the organization really appreciates you, and I also know that at some point you're going to be running an NFL team. So just remember us little people uh, nah. when you get that gig, Q. All that I know is I turn on the TV, I see and hear you. I don't turn on the TV and see and hear me. That's all I know. <laughs> you will. You <laughs> will someday. Thanks, man, for doing this. Appreciate you. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate you. All right, bud. So as you guys can hear from that interview, Q, first of all, is just a great guy. Great personality. Great person. And obviously knows his job very well versed in not only the Cardinals but I just love the fact that he is so up on what's going on with every other team that he basically has to know the roster for every team in the NFL in case a player gets cut or there's a player that as he mentioned Jeff Gladney was one of them a player that they liked in the draft a couple years ago that they've kept tabs on him and things didn't work out in Minnesota for Gladney. The Cardinals took a chance on him, and they're hopeful he can be a big part of their defense in 2022. I love what Quentin said about Hollywood Brown, not just the deep ball, but the bubble screens, how he can play a role similar to Rondell Moore in this offense and how it enhances the Cardinals' offense because, as we saw last year, as good as the Cardinals' offense was towards the end of the season, the offense wasn't as good. And so... At the beginning of the year, when they were 7-0 and 10-2, and they were outscoring teams. But towards the end of the year, they are actually winning with defense. And as Q said, he likes the defense. He's really excited about the defense and what Vance Joseph is going to do with this group. We are presented by BetMGM, the official sports betting partner of the Arizona Cardinals, and by Gila River Hotels and Casinos. You can follow us on Twitter, at PashPod. Thanks for listening to Quinton Harris, Vice President, Player Personnel, on this edition of the Dave Pash Podcast.